Well, good evening, Crossbridge. How's everyone doing this evening? How's everyone doing this evening? There we go. I was telling uh, Justin uh, before that this is one of my favorite bumpers because it sounds like a Netflix show in like Kentucky. You know what I mean? It kind of has that vibe to it. And Justin's from Kentucky, so I was like, you're going to love this sermon bumper. If it's like from, your, from the backwoods, you know. And uh, we're going to the backwoods of Joshua for the next seven weeks in the Old Testament. But I wanted just to orient you real quick and just say Happy New Year if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet. My name is Carter. I am the lead pastor here at Crossbridge. Grateful to be in the room with you tonight. Our first service of 2023 in the room. And I was eagerly anticipating this, having the last two weeks to refresh and to rest and to spend time with friends and family was wonderful. But when I'm away from the pulpit for two weeks, I get really excited to be back up here, and I've had a couple espressos, so we're going to go, okay? We're going to jump in, and we're going to dive into God's Word, and I hope that your Christmas vacation and New Year's was wonderful as well, and you're ready to step into this new year and all that God has for you, believing in His faithfulness and the promises that He's going to fulfill. And that's why we wanted to start this brand new series called Forward Living in the book of Joshua for the next seven weeks as we begin this new year because what God teaches his people in this book is so relevant for us in a new year as we're moving into new horizons and new seasons with new goals and new prayers. It's very similar to what God's people were going through as they're entering a brand new season. You see, God's people are finally about to step into the land, the promised land that God had given them, that they've been praying for and waiting for and been impatient over. And Moses has died and Joshua is the new leader. This passage that we'll be in in chapter 1 takes place around 1250 BC. So this was a long, long time ago. Uh, God's people have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Moses led them out of slavery and oppression in Egypt. He said to Pharaoh, let my people go. He took them through the Red Sea, and they wandered in the wilderness, the desert, really, for 40 years, waiting for God to fulfill the promise that he had given them. That, hey, they're going to have a land where they can have ownership and worship freely. And they're right there. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. They could literally see God's fulfillment before them. That's where Joshua 1 begins, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there. The passage will be on the screen behind as well, and if you have the Crossbridge Brickle app, you just click on the notes section. I put a whole bunch of notes there for this evening's sermon because we want you to engage. This is not meant to be a monologue. This is meant to be a dialogue as we work together through God's Word, and so we want you to have notes so you can move along together with me through God's word, believing that God is going to speak uniquely to each of us. So I want to read actually the first nine verses of Joshua chapter one so we see exactly where God's people are at entering this new season and what God is saying to them and to their brand new leader, Joshua. Here's what the first nine verses says, starting in verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, 
the river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as it was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as you read this passage, the first nine verses really creates the very beginning section of the story of Joshua and the movement of God's people into the promised land. You read it and there's this air of joyful optimism. They have been struggling in the wilderness for 40 years. It has not been easy at all. And now they are looking over the Jordan and they see the land. And God gives this promise, this declaration to them that wherever your foot touches in this boundary, it is given to you. This is your land, not just any land, but it's a land that they will have ownership of for they have not had ownership of land. It is a land where they can worship God freely. It's a place of resources. Imagine going from the desert to a place flooded with resources. They are right before the fulfillment of that promise they've been praying for. There is so much joy and optimism in the air as you read this. But there are challenges. Here's the first challenge. There are other people living in their blessing. There are other people living in the land, other nations that have been there for generations, that have built cities, and they have packed, they have raised children, and they have armies. And here's what's not going to happen. Joshua and the people of God are not going to walk up to Jericho and knock on the gate and say, hey guys, you had a great run of it. This is our land, so we'll give you a couple days, pack your bags, head out, don't care where you go, just got to leave here. It's not going to work. They're not going to leave. There's going to be warfare, there's going to be battles, there's going to be bloodshed. And God's people know this, and there's a lot of challenges and fear rising up within them. Why? Because they are not warriors. There are many of them, but they are not warriors. They have been in the desert for 40 years. They were enslaved for hundreds of years prior to that. Now they're going to go up against mighty cities and nations. These are great challenges. Here's the second great challenge. Moses is dead. Moses is dead. Do you understand what that means? Moses is dead. There are like five people in the Bible that most people that don't read the Bible know, and Moses is one of them. He's a big deal. He said to one of the most powerful people in the world, Pharaoh, let my people go, and he was strong and courageous. He put his staff down and parted the Red Sea. He took God's people through the wilderness. He interceded for God's people when they were in sin and when they rebelled against God. Miracle upon miracle, faith upon faith, Moses demonstrated, and he is dead. If they are moving into this great challenge of taking this land and fighting these nations, do you know who they want to lead them? 
Moses, and he's dead. And so you have Joshua, who is going to lead God, God's people. And I want you to see two main things here at the very beginning of the passage that are really important to understand. The first is this. As God's people are there on the other side of the Jordan River, they're in the valley, they're overlooking the land that has been promised to them, believing that God is going to fulfill it, you will notice that God does not remove them from the activity of conquering the land. God gives them the promise, but he's going to fulfill that promise through them. Here's what that means in very basic terms. God's faithfulness to you does not remove you. Actually, God is faithful to you through you. He uses you. And so God could have protected that land and kept all the nations out because God can do whatever he wants. And he could have had this well-preserved land with nobody in it so they could have just crossed the Jordan and there it is theirs. But God wants to fulfill his promises through his people as they trust in him, as they rely upon him. As they sit in this very difficult place between God's promise and the fulfillment of his promise. That is where they are sitting at the moment. Knowing that God has promised now to fulfill his promises through them. As they step and as they tread, as they conquer, God is going to be faithful to his promises. So they are in still this wilderness period between the promise of God and the fulfillment of the promise of God. And this is really where so much of life is spent. So much of life is spent between God's promises and the fulfillment of his promises. It's the in-between. It's the difficult place. How many of you are, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you are in that place right now? You know God has given you promises You believe them, you hold on to them, but you have not seen them fulfilled in and through you in your life yet. You're in the wilderness. You're in the in-between place, and it's not easy. So much of life is here. And the reason that that's not easy is because God fulfills his promises to us through us. And so we are involved. Human agency and freedom is involved in God's fulfillment of his promises. And because of that, sometimes we make a mess of things, just like God's people as they are waiting for God to fulfill the promise when they're wandering the desert, do you know what happens about partway through? They get impatient, right? They're tired. They've been praying. There's been tears. It's been difficult as they're waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And at some point, do you know what they say to Moses? Hey, we want to go back. Can we go back to Egypt? They're literally saying, we're tired of waiting, God, for you to do what you promised to do. We don't want to wait on you any longer. We'd rather go back to slavery. The food was better. So much of life for us is between God's promise to us and the fulfillment of that promise. And it's not easy in the middle because we're praying and we're waiting and there's pain and there's tears. And oftentimes when we get impatient, we take matters into our own hands and we mess things up. And then we realize we mess things up and we come back to God and we pray and we wait again. We're in the wilderness, and they are here again in that wilderness place as they have not yet seen God fulfill that promise, but they're so close. And they know now that God is going to fulfill it through them. There's a lot of fear there because the people in the land and Moses is dead. And so as they sit here, as they move from God's promise to God's fulfillment, that's the title of the sermon, is moving from here to there. The way that God invites them to move from here, promise to fulfillment, is by trusting in his will that is announced to them. 
As he announces his will in the first nine verses, he gives them promises, he gives them declarations, he speaks his word, he gives encouragement, he gives commands. He announces his will to them so that they can walk from here to there, from promise to fulfillment. They can be strong and courageous, which is emphasized here in the passage three times. But see, as God announces his will to them, One thing is true for them, and it is also true for us. As we sit in that middle place, the wilderness place, the in-between of God's promise and his fulfillment, one of the things that happens in us is the same thing that happened in them, is that we overestimate human action above divine achievement. Here's what I mean by that. How many of you have been in this middle place, and maybe you're there now, where you believe in God's promises, and you believe that God is going to fulfill them, that he's going to achieve them? But you really believe that it's going to require certain people or something in yourself for that to ever happen. You think to yourself, especially as you move into a new year, God, I know, I know if you're going to fulfill this promise in my life, I have to get better at this. I have to start making these new resolutions. I got to work on this. I know you haven't blessed me, God, because I keep struggling with this. We overinflate human action, our ability, our talents, our discipline, our spirituality, our leadership. We overinflate ourselves or other people. Sometimes to the point where we say, well, God's never going to do something great in me because I'm not that great. We overestimate human action for God's divine achievement. But here's the truth. God is going to achieve what he's promised regardless of how great you maintain your resolutions, or how spiritual or holy you believe yourself to be. You may fail, but God's not going to fail. And this is what they're wrestling with here, because I told you the second great challenge is that Moses is dead. And so they're having a hard time with this, because Moses is dead. He was the figure of God for them. He was the deliverer. He was the one that interceded. He was the one that was given the Ten Commandments. And now... They have to trust God that he's going to achieve what he's promised. He's going to fulfill what he's promised with all the fear and the challenges on the horizon. And they have Joshua. And you know what's kind of going around the the camp, right? I mean, Joshua, he's okay, right? He's a good guy. But he's not Moses. What do you think Joshua's thinking? God, you could have chose anybody else. You know, you could have chose anybody else. This is like, this is not the job you want. <laughs> like, it's great, it's a lot of honor, but you don't want to take over for Moses. And yet, that is what is stirring around here. He has to be asking God, God, why me? I think that's part of the reason why God tells him three times you need to be strong and courageous. You need to be strong and courageous because there's a lot of fear both in the life of the God's people as they move into this land and in Joshua's life. And one of the things I think what's happening, and this happens with God's people when they're in the wilderness, it's happening now as they're looking back on Moses, as when they were in the wilderness, they're looking back on Egypt, is that it's really easy to look back on the past and live in the past. I know, I know I'm not preaching to nobody here. It's really easy to look back in the past and live in the past. But here's the truth. The future is never late, and the past is not now. Do you know that? The future is never late, and the past is not now. Here's a principle to understand. If you live in the past, guess where you die? In the past. If you live in the future, 
Guess where you die? In the present. You're to learn from the past and live for the future. See, that's what God's people are learning here. They're to learn from the past, their past mistakes, the the past uh, promises that God has given them. They're to learn from the past, but they're to live for the future. Not in it, live for it, trusting that God is going to fulfill his promises through them, trusting that God is going to use Joshua. Even though Moses is dead, you learn from the past and you live for the future. And this is why they are to step into the land with joyful optimism. It's why they are to believe that amidst the challenges and difficulties that will be before them, that God is going to fulfill his promises to them. That they can learn from the past and they can live for the future believing in God's promises. Am I preaching to anybody today? Come on, somebody. God has called you. Listen, I want to say this. God has called you into something in 2023. He's given you an assignment. He's given you a calling. And he's calling you to step into it with joyful optimism. When I look around this room, I see people that are fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends and teachers and lawyers and doctors and businessmen and women and nurses Real estate agents, coders, creatives, jobs that you explain to me, I still don't know what it is. All of you have different callings. You have relational callings. You have vocational callings. You have societal callings. God has called you into something in 2023. He's given you assignment. And in fact, probably many of your resolutions that you've written out, are attached to those assignments or callings that God has given you. They're focused on relationships. They're focused on your work. They're focused on friendships and societal connection. Whatever it may be, you have a calling and an assignment that God has given you. And God is calling you in this year, as he's calling Joshua, to step into your calling with power, to be strong, And courageous, to be strong and very courageous, to be strong and courageous. He's calling you to step into your calling with power. That's why God is saying to Joshua over and over and over again, here is your calling. You are going to lead God's people to inherit the land. It's going to be you, Joshua. This is your calling and your assignment. Every place that you step is going to be the land that I will give to you. Be strong and courageous. Step into the power of my promise to you. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be battles to fight. There's going to be division. He tells Joshua to divide the land. Imagine how that's going to go among the 12 tribes. Okay, you get this one. I don't want that one. Okay, well, then you get this one. I don't want that one either. It's not going to be easy. He says, Joshua, step into your calling. Be strong and courageous. He gives him power. And the power that he gives him is in the promises that he tells him. In verses 2 through 4, there's something, I don't know if you caught it when I was reading. There's something that jumps out of the text. It's three little statements. The first one is this. God says to Joshua, I am giving you the land. And then he says, I have given the land to you. And then he says, this shall be your land. Sounds like God has a verb problem. Does God need grammatical work? I'm giving you the land. I have given you the land. This shall be your land. 
It's like, God, what is it? Is it my land or is it not my land? Are you going to give it now? Have you already given it? Is it happening in the future? Here's the truth. God does not have a verb problem. We have a time problem. God is outside of time. And so when God tells you that he's going to fulfill something, whether it is now or it is not yet, guess what? It's fulfilled. It's done. He is outside of time. Now, we live within time. And so when God gives us promises, he doesn't always give us explanations because he doesn't have to. But God's promises to you are yes and amen. They're done. They are final. And this is why God is saying to Joshua, here's your assignment. You're going to lead God's people into the promised land. You're going to have that great honor. It's not going to be easy. You're going to tread on the land to where you tread is. That's going to be yours that I am giving to you. But I've already given it to you. You're going to be successful. You're going to be prosperous. You are going to be the one that is going to help God's people inherit the land. My people inherit the land. No one will be able to come up against you. There's so much power in those promises because God is telling Joshua, they are final. It's not going to be easy as you step into it, as you follow it, as you trust in it. But they're final. They're done. And that's why he tells him exactly how to hold on to and step into the power of his calling. See, the power of Joshua's calling is found in what God calls him to do as he moves into this new season. He gives him the promises. Here's who you're going to be. Here's what I'm going to do. But then he tells him how he can hold on to the power of those promises, how he can live in the middle between God's promise and his fulfillment, how he can learn from the past and look forward to the future, and it is by clinging to God's word. It is by trusting in his will that has been announced to him, trusting in the truth of his word to him. But here's the one thing that he tells Joshua, and I want you to hear too. If you're in the middle between God's promise and the fulfillment of that promise, if you're in that place where you know you need to learn from the past, let go of it, and then look for the future, you want to be a person that steps into a new year with joyful optimism, you know God has given you a calling and an assignment, and you want to be strong and courageous as you seek to conquer, as you seek to see God work and fulfill in and through you, then you need to trust in the same thing and do the same thing that God calls Joshua, which is cling to the word of God, which is power. But the only way that you can find the power that God gives you is if you know the word. You have to know it. Because without, there is no power without knowledge. There is no power without knowledge. That's why God says this in the second half of that section to Joshua. Verses 5 through 9 is so clear to us. Here's what he says. He's giving him these promises, and then he tells him exactly how he is to live as God is fulfilling those promises through him. Verse 5 says this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Wow, what a great promise. So Joshua, as a result of hearing this, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Another great promise. Joshua, when times get tough, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Being careful, listen, to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right 
or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Joshua, if you want to step into the power of this calling, if you want to trust and faith in what I'm going to do in and through you, you need to study my word. You need to know my word. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Follow it. Be strong and courageous by trusting in it. What does it look like then to follow God's word and not depart from it to the right or to the left? Verse 8, God says it again, but he gets even more specific. This book of the law, God's word, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. That's a phrase that means all the time, not just morning and evening. It means all the time. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Not some of it, all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. I love this passage because God is so clear to us. As you sit between God's promise and his fulfillment, as you learn from the past and look forward to the future, the power is in meditating on God's word day and night. That helps us to navigate the difficult middle period, the wilderness period. We're to cling to it, to trust in the finality of it. The promises that God has given us are yes and amen. We may not have experienced all of them being fulfilled yet, but they are final. And as we read God's word, as we meditate on it day and night, seeking to follow it, all of it, not some of it, then our way will be prosperous. We'll have good success. You know, one of my favorite books of all time is not Lord of the Rings. Some of you thought I was going to say that. It is, but it's not. It's, you know, I, I couldn't throw shade on Lord of the Rings. It's uh, the book Pilgrim's Progress. So I have any Pilgrim's Progress fans in the room? Okay, everybody else has homework, okay? Pilgrim's Progress. New Year's resolution, you walked out of church with a book. This book is a phenomenal book. It's an incredibly transformative and impactful book. It was written in the 16th, 15th century by a man named John Bunyan. And he was a tinker who became a preacher and a writer. He wrote this little book. It's about 300, 350 pages, depending on the size that you get. And it is a symbolic story of the Christian's journey through life and what a good life looks like. Now, this little book has had such a profound impact on the world. It was a couple years ago, and very well may still be, the highest selling book in the world, second only to the Bible. So now some of you are like, okay, well, I got to read it now. Amazing success. There's a museum in England, in Bedford, that is dedicated to the Pilgrim's Progress book and John Bunyan. Thousands upon thousands of people travel to go to this museum to learn more and to just be amazed at the work and the impact of this book over the past four or five hundred years. I heard a story about a man that traveled there to go re look at this museum and study the exhibits, and he loved Pilgrim's Progress. He goes throughout the museum and just amazed, and he walks out of it, and he begins to talk to the woman that's working at the front desk. And he says to her, isn't it amazing, the impact of this one small book on the world? I'm sure you get to see people from all over the world that are coming here to just marvel at the impact of this book. She says, yeah, I've been working here for 14 years, 
And I've seen hundreds of thousands of people come through these doors and, and respond just like you with a smile on their face on the way out. And, and he asked her, he said, you know, this book has really made a huge impact in my life. And I'm wondering, how, how has it impacted you? I mean, it has to be on another level because not just the book, but you working here for so long, orienting people in the museum and selling tickets. And, and she said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I know some about the book because people talk about it like you're talking about it now, but I've never read it. And he was thinking exactly what you're thinking. You've worked at the Pilgrim's Progress Museum for 14 years. The book you could read in the weekend, and you've seen hundreds of thousands of people travel from all over the world to marvel at this book, and you've never read it? Now, he didn't say that because that would be rude. But he said to her, maybe with his face shocked, looking at her like, wait, why have you never read the book? And her response was, well, I felt like I heard enough about the book from other people that really, really liked the book. And I also felt like if I tried to read the book, I wouldn't understand it. And so it's not really a good use of my time because... I'm not going to get as much out of it maybe as if I hear people like you just tell me what you like about the book. How many of us don't read the book? And I don't mean Pilgrim's Progress. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many of us don't read the book? We've been coming to church for years, months. We like to hear other people talk about it because it helps us understand which is in the book, so that's important. But nothing substitutes reading the book. You see, you are a part of the living museum of God, the church. And it's just as sad as a woman that it works at the Pilgrim's Progress Museum for 14 years and never read the book as a Christian who doesn't read the book. I'm not trying to throw shade on you. Just a little bit. We're all in that boat. We all, we all have other priorities and things that take over and things we want to read and things that will help us in our work and things that will help us in relationships and fiction to help us decompress at night and shows that we need to pick up. And we have all these things and these things are great, but nothing is better than the book. Nothing will give you a more prosperous and good life than the book. No self-help book, no how to get rich, no how to get better, no study book that you have to do, which you need to read so you can pass your class and graduate. I know we got a lot of students, but nothing is better than the book. You cannot substitute anything for you reading the book. Now, what's happening right now is in the book, as I preach the word to you, it's important and it matters and it helps bring clarity and understanding to certain things that maybe you wouldn't get. But listen, when you read the book, God does something powerful in and through you. Even when you read it and you think, I don't understand it. When you meditate on it day and night and you seek to not depart from it, then your way is good and prosperous. There's a signal to your heart when you read it. How many of you have been to a place where you've lost cell signal? You know how that feels? When you check your phone and there's no cell signal and there's no data, your phone has all of a sudden become a camera. And your computer can be thrown in the trash. Do you guys remember when you used to, be able to use computers without the internet? Now what is a computer good for without the internet? You, can't, you can do nothing. I mean, maybe you could type on Microsoft Word, but where are you going to send it? Just going to keep it there? I don't know. 
Your TV needs the internet. Everything in our world is powered by the internet. Our appliances in our kitchen now are powered by the internet. The internet is everywhere. It keeps our life afloat. It's everything that is working in and through us. Many of us know this so much that we've turned off the weekly screen report because we don't want to know how much we're on the internet. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. And when you get in that place, right, where the internet is out, you kind of feel afraid, right? It's like, what do I do? Well, I don't know what to do. Your whole life shut down. I tell you that because I've never seen the internet. I've been on it. But I know something about the internet, which is like, it's all in the room right now. Do you know that? How weird is that? There's like data moving in this room. And someone's going to tell me like some scientific thing later because we got a lot of scientists in here. Like, that's not how it works. I'm like, I don't know. I think it's in the air somewhere, okay? There's information and data moving in the air. I can't see it, but it's going around our phones. It's doing its thing. Some of you are through the data right now online. It's in the room. I've never seen it, but I know the power of it. I know the impact of it. I know how it powers my life and your life. You see where I'm going with this? You don't have to see always the impact of this. But when you read it, God sends a signal to your heart and he transmits something that you don't even know in the moment. And when you disconnect from it, your whole life falls apart. Your whole life falls apart. That is why God says to Joshua, hey, listen, Joshua, you want to know how to lead well? You want to know how to step into your calling? You want to know how to get from here to there to learn from the past and look forward to the future? Do you want to know how to be strong and courageous with all the challenges before you? Meditate on the word. Do not depart from it. Read it day and night. It's not rocket science. It is so simple what God says to us. Read the word. And I want to say one thing that I've been reading in God's word and thinking about this year. And I don't know if this applies to you. And maybe it does. As we move into a new year, many of us have these New Year's resolutions, right? We have all these goals and these dreams, these things we want to achieve. We want to see God do through us and our work and our relationships, our social circles. We have the list. Some of us have restarted the list already. And many times we think that the way that God is going to do something great in our lives and the things that we need in our lives is by addition and multiplication. God, I need you to add this. I need you to multiply this. This is what I need more of. This is where I need some adjustment and some addition. You know, there's a principle in Scripture when you read it and you don't depart from it where you learn something really valuable that may affect your New Year's resolutions. I call it the Gideon Principle. You know, Gideon was called to lead an army against the Midianites who were this fierce nation that was known for their warfare. And he had thousands of people with him and God kept subtracting all the way to the point where, God, where Gideon had 300 warriors to go against thousands of Midianites. And he was successful. God brought victory through subtraction. How many of you this year have New Year's resolutions where you're asking to remove something and not just calories? Where you have goals and you're saying, God, I want to remove this. I want you to subtract this. I want you to give more margin here for this there. Because God brings victory through addition and he brings victory through multiplication, yes. But he also can bring victory through subtraction. 
And when you read God's word and when you trust in God's word, oftentimes what you find is God telling you to subtract things. Because the law of God, the word of God is diagnostic. It's like a mirror. When you look at it, it shows you who you really are. And when you look at it, it actually shows you how you might want to adjust. Like when you look in the mirror and you're like, maybe I'm going to do my hair a little bit differently. Maybe I'm going to have a different kind of outfit next time. When you look into God's word, it not only shows you who you are, but it actually shows you how you might want to adjust, what you might want to subtract, what you might need to add. And it also gives you pause of evaluation. Have you ever looked in a mirror before and just had this moment of evaluation of yourself as you begin to contemplate why you're making the decisions you're making and why you're doing the things that you're doing? Mirrors have that kind of effect, and God's word is the same way. It's diagnostic. Some of us don't want to read it because we don't want to be diagnosed. But here's what I'll tell you. Your way will be good and prosperous when you meditate on God's word day and night, when you seek to not depart from it, when you allow it to subtract things from your life, your life or add things to your lives. It will certainly multiply things in your life. And it's okay when God evaluates you or when you feel that you see yourself for who you really are and some things you don't like and some things need to be adjusted. That's okay because God doesn't see what you see in yourself. God doesn't see what you see in yourself. Romans chapter 10 says this, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. So you may look into God's word and it's diagnostic for you. It shows you, which is good and healthy, what needs to be changed and adjusted and subtracted and added. It, it shows you who you really are, but it also points you to the one who has fulfilled the law for you. See, what the law reveals, Christ has fulfilled. And you can look into the word with safety. In fact, that's why when you meditate on God's word day and night, when you seek to not depart from it, even when you read it, you're like, ooh, that's, that, that's really me and that hurts. And I'm so, I know that's me, God. You can be strong and courageous because Christ has fulfilled what the law reveals to you. You are free, you are forgiven, you are righteous in Christ. God sees you for who you are in Christ, not who you are this moment. And so you can step into 2023, into your calling, into your goals, learning from the past, looking forward to the future, being full of joyful optimism because you know God's promises to you are sure. They are not dependent upon your action. God is going to achieve what he has promised in your life. He's gonna do it through you as well. And Christ has fulfilled the law for you so you can live freely. You can believe that God's promises are yes and amen. And I want to leave you with this promise. Because the charge that God gives to Joshua in verse 9 is the same charge he gives to you. Here's what God says to you for a new year. Would you cling to this? Maybe would you memorize it and write it down and hold to it? And that's this. Have I not commanded you? Will you read this out loud with me? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is with you wherever you go. Don't be dismayed. Don't be frightened. Trust in his promises. Know his word. And there will be a signal transmitted to your heart even when you don't see it that God is with you and he is for you and he has fulfilled the law for you. So you can be a person of forward living, joyful optimism, being strong and courageous. Amen? Will you pray with me?